Good day. Welcome to your favorite place. This is the Trendy Place. This is the Trend Podcast with Justin A. Williams, and I'm here to bring you awesome content from all across the spectrum. We are excited today. We have our guest, Jesse McCarthy, on. He is a Harvard professor, but he's also an author with a debut book. We are very excited to talk to him about that and some other issues regarding around the book and seeing where we go today. As uh, always, remember, you can like, share, and subscribe to this podcast wherever podcasts are found. That's Google, that's Spotify, that's Apple. And yeah, we post at the end of every month. So uh, excited to have Jesse on. Jesse, how's it going? It's going pretty good, man. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Sure. And just as a disclaimer, the views expressed today are the views of the guest and the host. And no more, they are not the views of near trend media as a whole. This is a forum for discussion, no more, no less. All right. So when I first saw the 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 title of uh, your uh, your book um, and it's called the fugitives if I'm not correct. Well, it's actually the fugitivities, as in fugitive fugitivities activity, okay. but it's an okay. almost impossible title for anyone to say, and everyone calls it the fugitives anyway. So I'm okay with. Okay. That. <laughs> okay. So what made you pick that name? What 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 made you? What kind of places were you trying to go with this? Yeah. So I mean. Some people will hear in the title um, an echo to, um, I guess you could call it a very fashionable, trendy term in a way um, in philosophy and black studies, notion of fugitivity. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a, a word that's often been associated with the work of um, Fred Moten, uh, not exclusively. I mean, there's, you know, Sadia Hartman. It's associated with a number of folks working in black studies. But um, it's, a, and it, and it's a concept that, you know, has more or less uh, of a well-defined kind of sense or orientation. The way I think about it is that um, it encompasses in a lot of ways a set of responses, especially on behalf of um, black people to contexts of various kinds of oppression, right? And and one sort of canonical version of dealing with this is running away, right? Uh, becoming a fugitive, essentially, trying to get out and away from that which is oppressing you um, most immediately, but also- Draptomania, as they called it. Draptomania, right, as you know, right? Yeah. As- this, you know, pseudoscientific term applied to fugitive slaves, right? As if it were uh, an illness, in fact, a mental illness um, to want to get away from oppression. Right. And so fugitivity is often used by folks like Moten and others um, to talk about a kind of both a sensibility and a broad range of practices. Some of them are, can be thought of as um, you know, actual kind of practical and political practices. Others might be aesthetic forms um, that kind of express in various ways this need or this desire to try and get away. And mm-hmm. in, in various ways, um, I, the novel is about, um, you know, characters who are trying to get away, who are in flight um, in various ways from themselves from various kinds of paths that they see for themselves in the world. Mm. Um, but part of the point in a way, or the irony, I suppose, 
inherited the title is that uh, so often, right, this attempt to get away fails. Um, and so the yes. book, in a lot of ways, is both about the need and the desire um, to get to some other place, to get away, but mm-hmm. also the ways mm-hmm. in which that's consistently and constantly undermined and, and fails mm-hmm. in so many ways. It's very interesting. I, I took a course. I don't know if you're familiar with um, Professor Eddie Glaude, um, his work. Um, but, uh, you know, I took a, a class called the American Jeremiah when I was at undergrad at Princeton and we studied, uh, are you familiar with Michael Walzer, the work of Walzer, the work of, uh, like, uh, Saeed? Okay. So we had some technical difficulties, but basically the question I was going to ask our guest, uh, Jesse McCarthy is, was, um, you know, uh, a lot of people in uh, the kind of African-American studies space have done a lot of work uh, talking about America as a kind of uh, a frontier, uh, almost like a, a Jeremiah, really. Like it's a, it's, a, it's a predicted promise of a land that is supposed to ensure um, the Bill of Rights for all people, right? Um, where does your book line up with kind of that kind of theory where... Um, first of all, is this a, is this a fiction book? Is it a nonfiction book? Uh, are the characters kind of, uh, representations? Is, is it like a Tori Morrison style of, of, a book or is it more, uh, in the work of, uh, academia? Well, it depends which book we're talking about. Uh, you know, so I, I right now I have two books out, you know, my collection of essays who will pay reparations on my soul. Um, and my novel, The Fugitivities. So, you know, the novel is a novel. It's not a, it's a work of fiction. Um, and, you know, obviously it's, you know, shot through with lots of ideas. Um, and some of them are borrowed from various corners of philosophy, including, of course, Black Studies. Um, and the title is in part an homage to that background. But it's, you know, it's a, it's a narrative, it's a story um, that crisscrosses a number of characters um, across both the United States, Europe, and uh, Latin America. Um, and is really trying to think a little bit about, um, in, in a number of different ways, what it's like to kind of come up in a world where on the one hand, it kind of seems like you are living in a moment, in a historical moment, when there's never been more options. There's never been more opportunity. Things have, in a sense, never been better, quote unquote, for Black people, for gay people, for all kinds of people. And yet at the same time, to feel like there's an enormous sense of contradiction in that very same historical moment with a kind of sense of hopelessness and helplessness, uh, a sense that um, on any number of fronts, things are are actually regressing rather than improving and, and trying to grapple with uh, something like the kind of sense of paradox that that instills in, in people, especially young people um, who are trying to figure out um, how to how to orient themselves and what to do with their lives. So do you feel that the book is meant to, is this, 
uh, meant to inspire kind of uh, a way of looking inward for the community uh, for solutions? Or do you think many ways that the problems that we have in the community are, are still very much from the outside? Um. Well, you know, so one of the things that I, I, I'm always keen on pointing out, and this is true, you know, when I teach literature, um, is that, um, you know, the novel doesn't have a lesson. Uh, it doesn't have uh, a message to be discovered and decoded. Uh, the novel is an experience uh, for you to encounter. And, you know, the reader will come away with whatever they make of that experience. Um, what's also true is that, you know, if anything, I think some of the themes that the novel explores tend to actually put pressure even on, um, the terms you just used, for instance, the community, what constitutes it, um, what are its limits, uh, how is it in fact defined or not defined, um, how does it translate across time and space? Mm -hmm. different historical areas, different geographies. Mm -hmm. um, if you're born Black in Uruguay, for instance, are you part of that community or are you not part of that community? And in what sense, right? right. So the novel, I think, takes up a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, byways and highways, and it moves in a lot of different directions that are intended to evoke problems um, and, and experiences that people can recognize. Um, but it's not meant to, uh, it's not meant to sort of lecture anyone. Sure. <laughs> I saved the lecturing for my classroom. Sure. And I, I think I, I have a pretty good, um, you know, I've read literature that was kind of from the same kind of farmland as yours in terms of discussing America in context of its past. Um, I wonder though, do you think that um, sometimes books like this, well, first of all, I, I'd love to hear some more about the synopsis, right? In terms of just, um, and what is the setting of the book? Is this setting, uh, you know, is this, is this when we were uh, at our most fugitiveness? Uh, is that even something that we can even say has been ended, right? Are we still at our most fugitiveness today? Um, you know, so what's the setting? What's the synopsis? What's, and, and also tell me like, um, so I know you said that it's not meant to necessarily be didactic in its, its form, but I'm sure you have some kind of, um, so, so, some, some kind of take it, some kind of action item, I would assume you'd want to come from the book, right? I mean, I, I, I think for every author, for every author, there's, there's some kind of takeaway that I think that you want the audience to have that they actually can repeat in their lives. Uh, I, well, I wouldn't say there's an action item, uh, maybe a reflection time or a reflection space, but, um, I guess, um, you know, in terms of a, a kind of brief overview or synopsis, I mean, the book is largely set <clears throat> in the um, in the early to early to mid two thousands, the Bush years, essentially. 
and um, it's it's focalized mainly through uh, our protagonist Jonah Winters, who's a young man with obvious resemblances to the author of the novel. So he's a young black man, but he's grown up in Paris, and he's trying to figure out what to do with his life, and he's going to get into teaching um, in New York City, and it's going to lead to an encounter. Um, uh, with Nathaniel Archibald, who's a retired NBA player, um, with a nod and an homage to those who know the game. Tiny, you mean Tiny and, Archibald? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I know. there's, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, you know, the book is packed with lots of nods and, you know, lots of little kind of illusions and stuff like that. But, um, but he's a, this is a fictional character, but this character is a retired NBA player who um, had also has also has a kind of background connection to, to, to Paris. And, and in a sense, they meet at this kind of crossroads in a certain kind of way. And um, Archambault is going to kind of make a case for, um, for Jonah to kind of turn himself towards his, towards as you put it, the community, right? And helping him mentor kids and that kind of thing. And um, Jonah will opt not to take that course. He's kind of trying to get away. He wants to, he's kind of uh, lost hope. And he, since he has, uh, through, through a fortunate inheritance, he has a, a small amount of money in his pocket. He wants to get the hell out of the country and see something new while he can. And that's going to lead him um, on a kind of series of adventures, if you will, in in, uh, in South America and Latin America. But obviously, uh, things will catch up with him in various ways. And in the end, uh, it, it'll turn out that sort of running away is not as as simple as that. So I'd say you know that's that's sort of roughly kind of sense of it. It's a you know it's a contemporary novel. It's got it's mostly you know uh, in a realist mode, but it's got little flights here and there. And, um, you know, there are obviously autobiographical elements, but, <clears throat> you know, there are also many, many voices in this novel. Um, it's very sort of polyphonic and that's very deliberate. It's actually in a lot of ways, a kind of epistolary novel, um, which is something I was interested in exploring. Uh, there's an important history and tradition uh, within the African-American novel in particular of trying to find different ways to incorporate um, orality, right, into the written. And for me, uh, I found that, you know, trying to exploit the, the epistolary form and the epistolary novel was actually one way to, to try and actually play with that and keep voice and multiple voices um, alive in the text. I find that very interesting. I find that very, um, very Greek in a way. I'm, I'm really, I'm a big fan of uh, Aristophanes, his, uh, his his plays. I'm a big fan of uh, Euripides as well. And I think what what I think the black uh, art form has borrowed from this is is rooted early on in the Harlem Renaissance. I mean, when you look at people like um, the the many of the black authors of the time, uh, even like a poet like Jane Toomer someone who's not as well as known, um, you know, they're borrowing that kind of 
multiple voice feel, that kind of uh, call and response feel in the text. And I'm sure it speaks to your dialogue as well. I mean, as, as it tends to in the black uh, dialogical form, at least in writing. Uh, and I think it's really interesting. I think it speaks to a, a, not only a, a grand universal tradition, right? I mean, uh, many people don't know that there's been contacts between black people and Greek culture since the inception of Greek culture, since they were Minoans and since before that, right? So th this merger is very interesting over time. And it's just being, being a history nerd, uh, I'm really interested in that. When you say epistemology, you know, epistemological form, I think, you know, you can't help but but start to think a little bit about Plato and a little bit about Paideia and a little bit about um, maybe even some stuff that, that Dr. Cornell West talks about. Um, what are some of your influences, though? I mean, who 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 are some people that you, yeah. you felt like well, you, you know, needed you, to read for this? Oh yeah. Well, you know, I mean, in a way, I don't know that it, I would put it that there were folks that I needed to read for this, but mm -hmm. the book, like all books, is a product of reading. Mm -hmm. And in my case, um, it's certainly true that you know primarily the, the novel comes out of a moment for me personally when in my early years I'd been primarily interested in poetry much more so than in in fiction and um and I think people who read the novel will see the traces of that influence it's 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 it's, it's very much there but at the same time um in the moment when I was I was beginning to conceive of the novel in a certain kind of way, what I was, what I had in mind was thinking about, um, I would say, sort of three strains of influence that were um, that were powerful and meaningful to me. So one of those would be um, the African American literary tradition, right? So um, Ellison, Hurston, um, you just mentioned Gene Toomer's Kane. Um, you know, all the way back into the 19th century and, and, and forward, or the 18th century even really, I should say, and forward. Um, and I knew that, you know, that was going to be, uh, that was kind of a modality within which I wanted to be in conversation and respond, right? Um, but the other kind of, you know, biographical, particularity, right, in, in, in my background was that I grew up in France, in Paris. So I actually have like this whole side of my education that's really like a French education. And so I was really influenced by the, the French novel. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of interests in that domain and I was always attracted, especially um, to Stendhal, to Flaubert and to Proust. Um, and in some ways, I would say, you know, all three of those are, are very influential in various kinds of ways on the book, but more out of those three, even I would say, in, in terms of the French influence on the book, it was really Flaubert and especially the sentimental education. And, uh, you know, the whole kind of question of um, disappointment in politics and disappointed uh, minor uh, and uh, minor intellectuals, <laughs> if I can put it that way. And um, so that, you know, that was a whole second strain, was this kind of French influence. And then 
Um, in addition to that, uh, you know, when I started working on this on this book, it was r- roughly around 2007, 2008. And it was right in those years, actually, that um, uh, the Chilean uh, novelist Roberto Bolaño's books began to be translated into English. So they had come out already in, in Spanish and people knew about him in the Spanish speaking world. Uh, you know, his books had come out in the late 90s, but in English, we were just getting some of these extraordinary novels. So The Savage Detectives uh, and 2666, which were both extremely influential uh, uh, for me. And, and you know, in a certain kind of way, the, the Fugitivities is an experiment. It was basically the, uh, an experiment that came out of my interest in seeing what would happen um, if this, you know, the things that I wanted to say, the story that I kind of conceived in my head were filtered through a kind of imaginary synthesis of these three strands, right? So the African-American tradition, the black literary tradition, um, the French novel, um, especially through Stendhal, Flaubert, and, and to a certain extent, Proust, and then also this, you know, what what seemed to me like a kind of uh, a kind of hope, actually, for the novel as a form that Bolaño was kind of keeping alive um, at a very at a very late hour. Um, so it was really about about experimenting with these kind of three strands and what could come out of remixing them. Um, in some in some new fashion. So it seems like your book is is more like a uh, a conversation piece. It's more of a discussion forum as opposed to uh, what I think some people look to books for, which is like the answers, right? It's like they want to know if you have a plug into the cosmos that you can kind of reveal some some something uh, life changing, right? Um, as an as as an author, was was there pressure to kind of be like, oh, I gotta change people's lives with this, or uh, what, what what kind of saved you from that kind of pressure? Well, you know, honestly, I mean, the the fortunate thing in a certain kind of way, and this is gonna this is a little bit paradoxical, but the fortunate thing in some ways about the novel is that, um. You know, it's not, uh, I mean, sometimes people get lucky and, you know, put out a book and it does very well. Um, but the novel is not necessarily the, writing a novel is not necessarily the the best way to try and and be successful and get rich. And so there aren't, there weren't necessarily that many pressures upon me. That's one of the things that's actually important to me about it as a form. You know, I spent almost a decade uh, working on the book. And in the end, it, it was almost, you know, it could very easily have never even seen the light of day if I hadn't happened to get lucky and, and find some editors who really believed in the project and kind of got it, you know, and kind of understood what I was doing and, and thought that it deserved a chance. But, in, you know, what I would say is, is that, you know, to your question about kind of people getting something out of it, I do think that um, for me, it's always more about the questions that are raised 
And, but I think people are also interested in that. You know, I think people are, people are looking for answers, but to a certain extent, um, they're also suspicious of answers. Whereas I think people are always receptive um, and actually in some ways more receptive when they realize that what they're reading is asking a question that they have, but that they haven't known how to ask, mm. right? Or that's showing them a different way to ask a question that they're already asking, mm. or that it's asking a question that um, that they you know had a, a strange sense was there, but now they realize they're so much more connected to that question, right? Yeah. That 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 that's sort of unfolded before them. That's interesting. That's an interesting way to, to put it. Um, you know, I think to, to parlay to some things that uh, I've brought up on this podcast before to our audiences, um, I'm really interested in, you know, what is, what are the actual solutions that are, are, are uh, possibly coalesced um, to address many of the, um, uh, the, the 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 community's needs, right? Because I feel like if you're going to write a story, um, particularly a novel, um, even if you're not aiming it for a particular community, it's definitely going to reflect the community. I mean, I don't think any of us grow up in isolation. I don't think any of us, even if you grow up in a in a world where you hated your community, your community still has a big impact on you. Um, in a way that only a community can. It's not like you're, um, uh, you grew up in, you know, just in the woods by yourself. So I feel like there needs to be some fruit that comes to bear, right? I mean, I think if you look at some of the great American novels uh, in any tradition, um, look at something like The Grapes of Wrath, look at something like um, even Lord of the Rings, if you want to, right? I mean, they speak about something uh, that's, that's very, um, uh, it can be very, uh, it can be very, uh, otherworldly or spiritual, but they also are speaking of something that's very much in the moment. It's very much contemporary. Uh, so I, I, what I love about books like this is that books like this give us a chance to, um, I think you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but remember that we're still making history in our moment now. I think people that, that, and maybe this is a different context, but people have been talking about a kind of end of history point uh, for the past, uh, I think, 20, 30 years in academia. I remember when I was in graduate school, that was a big thing. Uh, a lot of uh, Fukusami and, and, and others had talked about, are we still making moments worthy of our history books? And I, I, I do you agree that we, we still are? Or do you, do you think that... Um, uh, maybe books like yours are kind of a criticism of that kind of mentality. Well, you know, there's a moment in the in the fugitivities where, uh, again, the, the main protagonist uh, Jonah has a kind of reflection on this discourse on you know Fukuyama and the end of history, and um, there's sort of this interesting. Um, way in which right he has a kind of childhood that um kind of occurs in between the kind of two ends of history right on the one hand the fall of the berlin wall and the end of the 
quote unquote so-called end of the Cold War. And then, um, you know, roughly a decade later, the uh, the attacks on 9-11 and the falling of the Twin Towers, right? These two fallings, these two collapses. And uh, I think, you know, it, there is a way in which the novel is interested in exploring a particular kind of historical moment. Um, I was interested in trying to think about how in language I could contain and evoke um, what seemed to me like a set of very, uh, very ominous years, uh, those mid 2000s years, those Bush years, you know, so the years of, you know, Hurricane Katrina and kind of weird way, the weird way that the country felt in the years after 9-11. Um, you know, for, for the youngest listeners and youngest readers, this is stuff that's now, to your point, in the, in the history books, essentially, right? Many of them will not even have been born when 9-11 happened, and they'll have to learn about it through textbooks um, and, you know, watching clips. But, you know, we lived through it, and I think that um, the, the novel also has, you know, one of the things that it can try and do is tell that other side of, of history, which is not told in the history books, uh, because it can't be, not because the history books are bad, although they are also bad in all kinds of ways, but that's not really the point, right? The, the point is that uh, much of what is true about a time um, is also true in a kind of small and trivial sense, what it actually felt like to live in those years, right? Mm -hmm. is not the subject of, that goes into, you know, this, that's not the content of your history textbook, mm -hmm. um, but it's true. I mean, there, you know, it happened and it happened in a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. Um, and, and the novel isn't the truth in, with a capital T. It's not the truth of that time and that place, you know, for everyone. It's not even, I mean, it's a fiction, so it's explicitly not the truth. Um, but that's kind of, I think, one of the great qualities uh, of art also is that, you know, it speaks to this sense that uh, there's also a kind of, again, to play to my title, there's a kind of fugitivity of truth and of, re, you know, there's a, there's a way in which the fullness of um, a, a moment, its historical significance, what it was actually like to be there, to live through it, is an extraordinarily difficult thing um, to capture, right? I mean, the entirety of uh, all of the volumes of Proust's In Search of Lost Time yeah. are this kind of attempt this, to, yeah. to catch up with this fugitive uh, uh, present uh, and would become past. And so I, you know, in a lot of ways, I do think that, um, you know, the question of whether or not we're making moments worthy is to me less interesting than the problem or the question of whether or not uh, we still have the tools and are interested in making the kinds of tools, by which I mean certain kinds of artistic tools, basically, for exploring and thinking about um, the past, the present. Um, and, you know, in, in the case of people who, who do dystopian fiction, speculative fiction, science fiction, right, who think about the future. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, literature is this great imaginative vehicle um, that allows you to 
conduct in a, a kind of symphony. You know, it's part philosophy, it's part poetry, it's part um, speculation. It's, you know, it's this loose baggy monster, as Henry James called it. It's this form that in some ways kind of gobbles all, all kinds of material from the world and brings it together under one hood. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, you know, one of the interesting questions, and it's a question a lot of people have asked is, you know, what is the novel good for in the 21st century? I mean, you know, people love to watch TV and, you know, allegedly we're living in the golden age of television and there's all these great shows to watch and film seems to be somewhat on the decline, but I mean, you know, there's the movies, there's podcasts, right? There's all kinds of ways you to, to occupy your time. Why read a novel at all, right? Why, why read a book? Um, and I think one of the answers I would offer to that kind of, uh, to that kind of sort of skeptical charge is, well, because in a certain kind of way, uh, the novel at its best um, has this kind of elasticity. It has a kind of range. Um, uh, it has a kind of glue that can go much further. It can do, th it can do things that television can do. And then it can do all these other things that television can't do, right? It can do certain things that film does. And then all these other things, it can range back and forth. It can be, uh, you know, it can range across genres. There's, there's no rules. Um, but also there's a sense uh, that it's this, this form par excellence in which, um, in which, you know, we're in the medium, we're working in the medium that's the most fundamental and immediate to who we are because we're working in language and that's what right. we think in, right? That's the, that's the intimate organ uh, of our nature. Um, so it's still, I think, a very, very powerful form. The question is, what do you do with it? And how do you get it to respond um, to the world and to and and um, to reach a reader where they are and, and pull them into the fictional world that you've created? That's fascinating. And I I think, you know, in terms of as we as we close here, I think uh to reflect on what you just said, I think is, 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 is really poignant. Um, it's the, you know, uh, books, novels are kind of like that kind of ancient dream theater that we have uh, in a way. Um, it, it's, it's the place where we can go and in our own pace be spoken to uh, by somebody's affections, heart, emotions, story, uh, life. And um we can be moved in a way where I think only really hearing the words repeat in your head really does. Right. I mean, when you're in conversation with somebody and you ask them, okay, can you say that again? It's like, that's how we, the tools we use to sink it in. We do the same thing while we're reading. We'll reread the line. We'll think about what we just read for a second. When you're watching TV, you don't really digest that way. You don't watch TV and then pause the TV and say, oh, while this commercial is on, let me really digest what Jesse McCarthy was saying. You know, so, um, but I want to thank my guest, Jesse McCarthy, for coming on today. A really riveting, great discussion of his book. And then also, I think we got some insights into things about community, but also just about the importance of the novel as well. Uh, I want to tell my audience again, 
Uh, you can look for us at the end of uh, every month. So it's for the end of May, end of June. Like, share, and subscribe. Contact me if you'd like. For our guest, Jesse, uh, any last words? Well, um, you know, on the topic that we were just evoking at the end, you know, Kafka famously said that the book should, the great book should be an ax to break the frozen sea within us. And I've always believed that to be true. And I think a good book at least aims to do that. Um, so I would urge folks to obviously to check it out, but also to, to keep that in mind as a goal for their own reading. I think that's brilliant. Thank you so much. All right. So we are going to uh, say goodbye for now. Remember, we're better when we trend together and uh, keep trending, everybody.